Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we've had quite a morning here, haven't we? Yeah? <laughs> nice to have folk in church. If you've never been here before, you, might, you have kind of a number of reactions. Is this church? Yes. <laughs> Is it real? Yes. Do we have fun? Yes. You come to us at a time when we're going through a series called Firmness Last Words. And it's interesting, I was just looking at some of the famous last words. You know, if you go on to Google, Lady Asta, as she was about to depart, woke up from her sickness to find her family around the bed. And she said, am I dying or is it my birthday? (laughs) Another interesting revolutionary from the, I think it was a civil war in America, The doctor, seeking to ease his pain, said to him, General, the angels are waiting for you. He said, waiting for me? Waiting for me? Let them wait. (laughs) 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 Just eat you. Those ones spoke to me. However, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the final words of Jesus. And if I can just remind you what Rick spoke to us about the final words of Jesus on the cross Father forgive these people they don't know what they're doing and what Rick said to us was two things he said look we all need to be forgiven and we need to forgive others then last week Chris with I have to say great passion and pathos focused on these words my God my God Why have you forsaken me? He reminded us that the issue for Jesus wasn't the beatings or the scourgings, terrible as they were. It was the fact that he was going to be, for the first time in his life, separated from God's presence. And Jesus, who didn't know any sin, and Rick defined sin for us, as missing the mark he became sin for us so that we could have relationship with God we could be righteous in his sight Jesus as a substitute powerful things today we're going to consider Jesus last three words These three words, when he spoke these words, it changed the course of history forever. So let's look. John 19, 28 to 30. I'll come up on the screen. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. Put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that at the cross, 
he was able to release forgiveness for those who put him on it. We thank you, Jesus, that you were prepared to be separated from your Father's presence for us. We ask you now, Lord, as we look at this word, that you will speak to our hearts. That this might be a moment where we move from darkness to light. A moment when we experience that it is finished within our lives. Help me now, Lord, and help us all to hear what you want to say to us this morning. Amen. Now, what was finished? What was finished? Three things I'd like to draw to your attention this morning. The reign of death was finished. The reign of sin was finished. And the reign of Satan was finished. And I'll explain that to you. So then, let's let's look at the reign of death. Romans chapter 5, 12 to 14. I'm just going to read this for you. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. In other words, sin affected everybody, even though you weren't involved. As did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. So, what are we saying here? Death reigned because of what? Disobedience. Now, if you've ever read your Bible, you may have heard about what happened in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was paradise. It was God enjoying his creation. Adam and Eve, who he created, were there. And they had fellowship together. And I'll unpack it a little later. Because I want to come back to it. But it was a great place. But in the garden, God just put one restriction. He said, look, look. You can, there's 99 trees in this garden. You can eat the trees. You can well, eat the fruit on the trees. You don't want to eat the trees. <laughs> yeah, animals do that right? but you can do anything you like but just that one there don't mess with it don't mess with that one but as you know as the story goes and I'll come back to it a little later uh, they were tempted to mess with the fruit in fact they did just mess with the fruit there the fruit and the result of that is every human being on the face of the planet was subject to the process of death. Because, as you will see, when they disobeyed God, certain things happened. Certain things were released across the earth. In Genesis 3, 9, because Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God put a curse on the earth, and he put a curse particularly on us, which means that we who were beings that were not supposed to die, all of a sudden this process of death was like spread across the earth. And he said this, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, in other words you have to work, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for you are dust, you are, and the dust you will return. So death is released through what? Disobedience. And every one of us here has been affected by this. We know that at some point in our life, we will have an appointment that we will not miss. 
The scripture says it's appointed once for a man to die and woman and then comes judgment. But how did Jesus finish off death? How did he deal with death? Well, listen to this. Romans 5.19 For just as through disobedience through the disobedience of one man many were made sinners I, because what Adam did we all were affected listen now so also through what? obedience of one man who? Jesus the many were made righteous so how did Jesus deal with the issue of death? he was obedient Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And if I had time, I would just, I will do it. You see, here's the rules of the game. God says, okay, you want to be pleasing to me, then this is what you need to do. You need to live a perfect life. Never sin, never do anything wrong. Never miss the mark. Well, Adam, well, he failed. Well, Noah had a go. He failed. He got drunk, you know, and that wasn't good. Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all had a go, but they failed. Joseph, well, he kept telling his brothers about dreams when he should have kept his mouth shut, and he got in trouble. In other words, no one was able to live up to the mark except for Jesus. Jesus is the only one that lived the perfect life and through his obedience to God death couldn't hold him what was the result of that obedience many were made righteous and what this basically means is this you see that righteousness is relational you see what do you mean righteousness is relational when we talk about being righteous it means that we are now rightly related first vertically to God and horizontally to each other. Let me put it to you another way. John in his gospel says this. I love God. Yo, but I don't love my brother. He said, no, 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 that's not right. <laughs> because you see, it's, it's, you think to yourself, well, I can, it's easy to love God because I can't see him. <laughs> right? But John says, the proof of you loving God is you love your brothers and sisters. That's the test. That's the test. So Jesus comes along. He's obedient. And because he's obedient, we now are made righteous because of what he has done. And instead of the promise of death reigning, there's a promise of eternal life. That the physical death that we experience is just a veil that we're going through. It's not the end. It's not extinction. As some people would like us to believe. Now, how was the reign of death enforced? The reign of sin, through the reign of sin, let us, the reign of death was enforced through sin. Because if you sinned, you had to die. Those are the rules of the game. So let's look at the reign of sin. What is sin? Because, you know, out there we don't talk about sin. We talk about naughtiness. <laughs> you know? Or if the old Bible, if you, if you ever get to, we don't use the authorized version here, but it talks about 
the superfluity of naughtiness. <laughs> That's an old English word for saying for wrong. You know, superfluity of naughtiness. You've been, you know, your children are doing, having superfluity of naughtiness. They are being naughty. Well, actually, Rick reminded us that it's missing the mark. It's missing the mark. Failing to do the things we know we should do. Now, you know you should do certain things. You know in your heart that you should, but you don't do them. I know I do things that I know I should do, but I don't do and I know I've missed the mark. And, you know, I remember Rick, bless my heart, because he was so honest. He says, look, some days I get up, and from the minute I get up, I'm missing the mark. You know, have you ever heard those? It's not going well. You need to get out of your bed, you stub your toe. If you're married, you don't say the right thing to your wife. You get to work. You know, I, I teach. I'm a you know, lecturer or a teacher. So, you know, some student that gets on your nerves, where normally you'll be gracious, you just, rah, 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 you know, <laughs> yeah? You know, you say the wrong thing, you, you, you get up your heads in confusion. Uh, am I the only one? <laughs> yeah? yeah? Well, I'm glad he died for me. Because <laughs> he would have if I was the only one. <laughs> we miss the mark. We know we do. And, uh, and we also fail to do the right things. So this is what they call sins of omission and sins of commission. Things that you should have done and things you, you know you should have done, but you didn't do them anyway. <laughs> so, what did sin do to us? The most powerful thing they did, well, it, it ruptured our relationship with God. Let me take you back to Genesis 3.18, not literally, but come with me here. Let me read. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. As he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Oh, this is a great phrase. You see, what you need to understand is that God is certain, God, before the fall, God loved to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. You see, in the cool of the day, God and Adam and Eve would walk and there was total transparency in their relationship. They talked freely. You know, with all the creation, Adam would say, man, how did you make that? And what did you do there? And what were you thinking of when you made the hippopotamus? And what was going on there? And they would talk and they would fellowship. And God loved it. You've got to understand that. God loved fellowshipping with us. Now, it says here, And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, what you need to understand is that they'd eaten the fruit. So for the first, once they had disobeyed God, they experienced the fear... For the first time in their life. And what did they do? They, they hid. Silly thing to do. How can you hide from God? But that's what they did because they never felt this feeling before. But the Lord called the man and said, well, where are you? Like he didn't know. <laughs> but he's given out of it. Well, where are you? I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. Now, here's the point you need to understand. Before they ate the fruit and disobeyed God, they were always naked. And God always saw that. It was nothing new. Yeah? Up until that point. Once they had disobeyed God, now they're thinking, we're naked and God is coming to see us like he's not seen us before. But you see, the thing is, something's happened here. There's been a rupture in the relationship. There's not that transparency. There's this tendency to hide. We all have this tendency to hide. When we haven't, we're running from God, but God is actually seeking us. So, he goes on. 
And who told you that you were naked? And here we have the introduction of the blame culture, which has infected all of us. Did Adam say it was my fault? No, no. He said, the man said, the, the, the woman you put with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate of it. Oh. So God comes, it's, 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 yeah, those of us have been married, it's, it's her fault, not mine. <laughs> and you know, we live in, we talk about blame cultures where no one wants to take responsibility. You spend all your time covering your back and the other thing. Yeah, you couldn't see it from this side. <laughs> yeah. So immediately he passed it on to the woman. So what did the woman say? She said, well, actually it was that serpent. He deceived me and I ate. But it's this little phrase that God says, what is this that you have done? It's like a, a God, a God ug moment. Ah, oh, why have you done this? Because you see, I God love walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And now that you've done this, I can't walk with you in the cool of the day. I can't have fellowship with you. Our fellowship is ruptured. You're going to have to come out of the garden. The earth's going to be cursed because of you. What have you done? A God ug moment. Sin ruptures our relationship with God. And what actually happens is that they put little loin coverings around themselves. They made it for themselves, but it wasn't enough to give them covering. And in God providing a covering for them, he was providing hope. But it was symbolic because for the first time, Adam and Eve had to see an animal being killed. They had to see the animal being skinned. And in that lesson, God was saying to them, for me to cover your disobedience, there must be the shedding of blood. Death has to take place for me to provide the covering that you need for your disobedience. So even in the midst of that failure, there was hope. Sin had to be paid for, but how? As we can see, that if you sin, you must die. That's the wages. Sin, death. But God says, well, if you sin, the soul that sins must die. So here's the deal. To get you and I off. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So God says, right, I'm going to send my son as a man. Contracted to a span. And I'm going to, he's going to live a perfect life for you. Because I love my creation. I cannot go on living this life where I can't have fellowship with you. So he loved the world, so he gave his son. And then God made him, Jesus, who was perfect, to be sin. For us. So God orchestrated it. He sent his only beloved son. He sent the best. His son Jesus lived the perfect life. Fulfilled the law in all its elements. So that you and I should not perish but have 
eternal life. He allowed his son on Calvary to become sin for us. All the disobedience, all the wickedness, all the adultery, every form of wickedness and evil that has been manifest on the earth or demonstrated on the earth, Jesus became that for us. Chris said it so powerfully last week. God presented him as the one who would turn aside his wrath and anger and take our sin away. So Jesus pays the price by becoming sin for us. And God's anger against sin is pacified in Jesus. But his mercy is seen that he provides you and I with a substitute. When Jesus, thank you, when Jesus said, it is finished, the writer of the Hebrews says this. After Jesus made purification for our sins once for all, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, once it was finished, once he had, as it were, come as a man and gave himself for us, once he paid the price of sin, it says he sat down. It was finished. It was done. Having brought the reign of death and sin to an end, Jesus now turns his attention to Satan. Now, you might, you know, who is Satan? Well, Satan is a fallen angel. He was once an archangel. He actually looked after God. He was in the inner circle. And the trouble with Satan, he was called Lucifer, he's called the devil, they're all the same names, was that he fancied himself. I'll use that kind of language, language because you understand that. He actually wanted to be like God. And God says, no, you can't. So he chucked him out of heaven, him and one third of the angels, and boom, they come into the earth. I remember I was preaching like this. I always think, you know, that film, The, the Terminator, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, some of you have seen it, yes. You know, he comes down into the earth, and he's, he's naked. And when Satan comes into the earth, he has no authority in the earth. Who, who has the authority in the earth? It's us. God says, well, Genesis 1, 26, you know, he gives man and woman dominion in the earth. And he says, be fruitful, multiply. Well, we've seen, seen some fruitfulness this morning. Okay. And well, it took you a while. And, <laughs> okay. And subdue the earth, have dominion. So the authority was given to us. Now, Satan, he's no fool. He's thinking, well, if I'm in a realm that I've got an authority, I need to get the authority. So, in getting Adam and Eve to disobey God, one of the things wasn't just that sin and death was released. The authority to have control and dominion of the earth passed to Satan. And Satan was no fool. He knew that God couldn't use deceit and deception to get it back. Because he's a righteous being. He would break his own moral code if he did the same thing that Satan did. Anyway... After Jesus is done with sin, he's done with death, he now comes to deal with Satan because he's got an issue with Satan. He has something that belongs to him. It's called authority. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2, 13 to 15. The reign of Satan. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. How did he do that? He forgave us all our sins. Having counseled out 
the written code with its regulations. Every time you sin, there was a book kept. Yeah? Some of us are still keeping the book. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> yeah, so, not all. Right? You know, you remember what you did to me back in 1542? I remember. I'll never forgive you. Well, God actually had a book. And every time you sin, any, the enemy said, that's another one against her. And another one. And another one. And another one. And another one. The book was hostile. Because it had all our sins. All the things that we had done wrong. However, at the cross, Jesus took the book of death and he nailed it to the cross because when he died for us, he paid the price. All the promise notes were written off. In fact, it says it erased. So whatever is against you by way of things that you've been done to, you've done to others or whatever, disobedience, Jesus has dealt with it at Calvary. He's removed it. He's erased it. This morning there's hope in the house because whatever condition you've come in this morning, whether you've come here and you know you've got a weight of stuff going on in your life, whether you've come here this morning and you know that maybe you don't feel that comfortable, but you know whatever that guy's talking about, it's, it's, it's getting on my nerves, but I know I need to do something. Jesus has hope for you because you can be free this morning from the power of sin and the power of death because of what he's done at Calvary. Amen. You can be free this morning. There's hope in the house because the certificate consisting of decrees of sins against you has been erased because of what Jesus did at Calvary. He nailed it across. He dealt with it once and all. That's why he could say it was finished. Amen. So that's why we're a joyous community this morning. Because we know our sins are forgiven and death has no power over us. However, he didn't stop there. Having nailed it to the cross, it says, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectre of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, what's that all about? You see, what you need to understand is after Jesus had done with sin and done with death, he went down, as it were, into Hades. Now, Hades is the place of departed spirits. There's a good side and a bad side. But as it were... on the cross, you can't see what's going on in the spirit, but Jesus comes down into Hades and he's looking for Satan. And Satan's like, oh no, it's, it's going to be over. And Jesus comes in like a spiritual Rambo. <laughs> he's going to set the captives free, baby. And he says, hello, Satan. I've been looking for you. My moment has come. I'm ready. Now give me that authority. Takes it from me. He disarms all the rulers and authorities. Takes away their power. Makes an open show of them. (laughs) Metaphorically speaking. (laughs) He tries over them. And then he sets the captives free. And you read in Matthew's gospel around about 27. The captives are like, yeah. But they're coming up now, they're free because Jesus has come down. He's broken out, he's broken the power of the enemy, he's broken the power of sin, he's dealt with the with 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 death, he's finished the job, he's now taking back the authority that Satan took by default in the garden. He has that authority, and that's why we read in Matthew's gospel, 28th verse or 28th chapter, and a 19th verse, it says, All authority has been given to who? Me. So Satan, who had been running things in the earth, no longer could run things in the earth because Jesus has got the authority. And here's the difference. You see, when Adam was given authority by God, he was given authority only over the earth. 
When Jesus got the authority back, he's got it in heaven and earth over every name that is named, not only in this world, but that is to come. He has all authority. He's the man. He's the man. And you see, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, when you become a follower of Jesus, you are connecting up with Jesus, who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's a name far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every time that it can be given, not only in this present age, but that which is to come. Ephesians chapter 1, 19, 21. When it was, he said it was finished, it was finished for Satan. It was finished for sin. It was finished for death. Now what does this mean? It means this. If you've come here this morning and you're not sure what this is all about, but you know that you've been under that power. You've known that disobedience to sin has been reigning in your life. You know that you're afraid of death. You're afraid of what the future holds. You can come this morning. And you can receive grace. You can receive mercy. You can receive forgiveness. You can receive cleansing. You can receive hope. You can find out that God, our God, is a God of mercy and compassion and love. Because he sent Jesus for you. He who became, who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us so that we might be rightly related to God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we might not perish but have everlasting life. The, the sins that you've committed have been erased and removed because it's finished. So wherever you are this morning, God says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. So that we might receive mercy, grace, forgiveness, love, compassion, affirmation. So you don't have to leave here with the stuff that you came in with. Because it's been dealt with. It's been sorted. It's finished. And it says, you know, once he'd said these words, he bowed his head. And Rick blessed me with this because he said, when Jesus bowed his head in the Greek... It's like he laid his head on a pillow. It's finished. It's done. It's over. And you know this morning, it can be over. Because Jesus said, it's finished. Let's stand. Let's pray. Could the band come up, please? Father... We want to bless you that there is a man sits in heaven who's made purification for our sins. One who was obedient to the point of death. One who fulfilled the law to its full. One who was willing to, to be separated from you so that he could Provide a way for us to have fellowship with you. And Father, we thank you that you want to have that fellowship with us. You want to walk with us in the garden as in the cool of the day. And Lord, we ask you that you would 
touch hearts this morning. Those, Lord, are in the valley of decision. We're experiencing, as it were, something strange, something that's pulling them. Lord, we ask you this morning that by your spirit, you would come. And for those, Lord, who you have been seeking, those who have been hiding from you, they may come out from behind the bushes. And they may come to you and have their failures forgiven. They may have fresh hope. They may have a new sense 